Well, good morning, folks. As ever, it's uh, so good to be with you again. Anyway, let's pray. Father, we thank you that as often as we meet to worship you, you are so pleased to see your people taking time and setting themselves apart to be worshippers together before you. We thank you that you want to speak to us so often and we're not always listening, we admit with shame, but we ask that you will speak to us very clearly this morning. We want to hear every word that you want to say to us. And we thank you for the amazing way in which, in the one message, you say different things to different people according to their needs. And Father, we ask that real needs will be met among us today. So come, Holy Spirit, and enable us to receive all that you will impart to us in Jesus' name. We're going to read a few verses, first of all, in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter, I'm sure you know, was writing to a people who were struggling a bit with suffering of various kinds. Anyway, this is the last chapter in his letter, first letter, 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Sometimes we hear of Christians who, in times of various need, turn to God in prayer and expect him on his own to handle the whole situation for them. Well... Sometimes that's exactly how it works, but not always. Because, you see, one of the secrets of living the Christian life the way God intends us to live the Christian life is to live in close and daily cooperation with the Lord. Not occasional cooperation, but as a lifestyle to cooperate day in, day out with our Lord Jesus Christ. The most obvious example of this Christians expecting God to do everything 
is when we are aware of some kind of demonic attack, when we sense that the enemy is really having a go at us and trying to pull us down and turn us aside and tempt us to do wrong, etc., etc., we cry out to God and expect him to do it all. But if we read the scripture correctly, he actually says to us, no, you do part of it. I will help you, but you do part of it. We'll come to that later. But look at three things in this passage we just read. That we who believe in Jesus, we who belong to Jesus, are called to do. Number one. In verse 5, the second half, I think, which applies not just to young men, but to all Christians of all ages. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Now notice, please, that what God is calling us to do in that particular direction is exactly parallel, it's exactly the same as what he called his son to do. He called Jesus, when he came into the world, to become obedient unto death on a cross. And Paul explains in Philippians 2, for that reason, he exalted his son and gave him a name that is above every other name. Jesus humbled himself. His father exalted him. And that's exactly the thing that God wants to do with us. We must humble ourselves in order to be exalted. If we go back for a moment to Isaiah chapter 52, we find a passage which says we're to do various things. We are to take responsibility for certain things. Now these words were addressed to the Jewish people of Isaiah's day, but they're part of scripture. They're for all believers for all time. The chapter begins by saying, Awake, awake, O Zion, clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, O Jerusalem, the holy city. Free yourself from the chains in your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Two things and more, in fact, there that we're called to do for ourselves. Not without God's help, but we are to play a part. We're to do something to make this happen. We're to awake we're to clothe ourselves with strength and we're to free ourselves from the chains on our necks, if there are any. We are to clothe ourselves with humility in two directions, towards one another. If we go back to Philippians chapter 2, we find there that Paul writes these Christians in Philippi and says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility... Consider others better than yourselves. Now that can be difficult to do. Let's be completely honest about this. The Word of God calls us to consider other people, and basically we're talking about other Christians, to consider these other people better than ourselves. But our natural instinct as sinful human beings is to consider ourselves better. Oh, I'm better than him. I'm better than she is. Far and away better than she is. And the Bible says we're to turn that upside down and do the very opposite. We're to consider other people better than ourselves. Now, if the other party is someone we, we respect and admire and love, and that's great. It's very easy to do that. 
But there's the other passion, and let's be honest, there are some people we don't like very much. It's not sinful to dislike somebody as long as you love them. But there are some people that we just irritate us. We don't really like them very much. And there are some that are just an absolute pest. Some of them are Christians even. No, no names, no pack drill. But, 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 the word of God tells us, well, sorry, but you better humble yourself before that person if you want God to bless you. Hmm, I see. So we're to humble ourselves in two directions, first of all towards one another, and secondly under God's mighty hand. And that, of course, ought to be very easy to do because our God is pure love and has enormous power. We, we saw just a few weeks ago as we looked at the prayer of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, we saw how he was praying for these Christians in Ephesus that they might know certain things, they might know God better, they might know the hopes of which he had called them, they know the riches of his glorious inheritance, and they might also know in experience his incomparably great power for us who believe and Paul goes on to explain that's exactly the same power that God used when he raised Jesus from the dead so we're called to submit ourselves to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand he's not just mighty he is almighty none more powerful than our God so it should be easy to submit ourselves before him the difficult thing is to be humble before our fellow Christians to do this in two directions and to do this for two reasons the reason obviously is that we open the way for God to exalt us now that's something that some people may say well I don't particularly want to be exalted I don't particularly want to be a VIP well it doesn't mean a VIP in that sense it means to be lifted up to a position of privilege and responsibility where God can bless us more and use us more, etc., etc. We're to do this for two reasons. To avoid the loss of God's blessing. You see, the heart of God is to bless us far more than we realize. Remember what John wrote in John chapter 1 about Jesus. He said, from the fullness of his grace, we've all received one blessing after another. Literally, grace upon grace. So it's not just something God gives us on Sundays. Not just something he gives us when we're reading the Bible. Not just something he gives us when we're praying. It's something he wants to do for us all the time. We want to be, he wants to bless us in all sorts of ways, day in, day out. And in Paul's letter to the Roman Christians, he says to them, Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. I think I've mentioned this to you before. We live in what I like to call the realm of grace. You see, there's not much grace in the world because grace only comes from God. In the world there's bitterness, there's cruelty, there's hatred, there's murder, there's all sorts of evil stuff. But grace is God giving us what we don't deserve and don't pay for, it's free, but it makes a huge difference in our lives. And that's what God wants to pour upon us, not now and again, but morning by morning, evening by morning, evening by evening. I've said to you before, I picture a waterfall. 
And I love water. I mean, I love water. I love cold water. I love standing under a cold shower. That's <laughs> okay me shining. <laughs> Not really. Um, anyway, the whole idea appeals to me. The idea of standing under a shower of God's blessing, a shower of God's grace. We sometimes talk about him showering us with blessings. But you see, we're going to miss out on some of these blessings if we refuse to humble ourselves. Oh yes, God puts us through the test. If you want my blessing, you've got to behave the way I tell you to behave. That's as simple as that. So we're to do this for one reason, to avoid God's blessing, the loss of God's blessing, and also, on a more positive note, to attain the life of God's choosing. You see, if we go back to Matthew 23 for a minute, what do we find there? Matthew chapter 23. <coughs> We find there in verse 12, Jesus saying, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. He puts it the other way around in a sense, but he's saying the same thing. If you set out to exalt yourself and make a big name for yourself and be somebody special in the eyes of your friends and neighbours and so on, you're going to lose out spiritually. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And remember, we are called to humble ourselves. In other words, we're called to do it voluntarily. But if we don't do it, God says, you know what? I love you so much, I'm going to do it for you. And that could be painful. If we refuse to humble ourselves under God's hand, he may deal with us in ways, oh, why are you doing this to me, Lord? What's happening to me? I don't like it. Well, you wouldn't humble yourself, so I'm doing it for you. Because it's the pathway to blessing. Oh, well, well, well. That's what Jesus said. He's saying the same thing in a slightly different way. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be, will be exalted. So Peter teaches it. Jesus taught it. To attain the life of God's choosing... I really need to humble myself. And if we go into back to James just for a minute, James chapter 4, James is saying the same thing also. He's saying there in chapter 4, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Jesus taught it. James taught it. Peter taught it. We better take it seriously. Clothe yourselves with humility. There was an old Baptist minister in, in Stirling and I... I got to know him rather well after he retired and he came to live near me and I was a young Christian, I used to go over to visit his home and we had wonderful times together, Daddy, Daddy Wrigley, John Wrigley, he was a mischief and he taught one of his, his granddaughters uh, when, when somebody asked her, how are you? Uh, she would say, I'm very well thank you and I'm humble. <laughs> we smiled, yes. Okay, number one, we're to clothe ourselves with humility, and that's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Secondly, we're to free ourselves from anxiety. Oh yes, I'm sure I've said to you over and over again, I've been a pastor long enough to know that many, many Christians struggle with and live with anxiety, with worry, with fear. And the Bible says we don't need to put up with any one of these three. God wants us to be rid of these things that are a hindrance and not a help. And we saw 
there in Isaiah 52, free yourself from the chains in your neck. And if you live with perpetual worry, anxiety, fear, it's like a chain in your neck. It's like a weight you've got to carry around with you. It's limiting your freedom and your joy. Who wants that? I don't. Free yourselves from anxiety. That's what Peter says here. Cast all your anxiety on him, on God, because he cares for you. You remember the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11? Lazarus was a special friend of our Lord Jesus. Jesus loved visiting that home in Bethany where Lazarus shared it with his two sisters, Martha and Mary. And while Jesus was quite a distance away from Bethany, you remember the story. Lazarus took ill and, and, and the sisters instinctively sent word to Jesus to, to tell him what had happened. He didn't come. He delayed. He could have come more quickly. He didn't come. And sometimes we feel like that when we call on God. He doesn't come to our help just right away for good reasons. Anyway, when eventually our Lord Jesus came to Bethany, he found that Lazarus was dead and buried four days. Oh, and the sisters both said to Jesus, you know, if you had got here first, our brother wouldn't have died. But he was now dead and buried. And Jesus went and stood outside that cave, which was the tomb of Lazarus. And he called in a loud voice into that tomb, Lazarus, come out! And yes, the miracle happened. Lazarus came stumbling out of that cave with grave clothes wrapped around his body, his feet, his, his ankles, his legs and hands and so on. He was just able and no more perhaps to stumble out that short distance from the cave. And then what did Jesus say? He said to those who were around, take his grave clothes off and let him go. When we come into the Christian life, when we begin our lives as Christians, especially if we're not so young, when this happens, we come in with what is usually called in church circles baggage. Not good baggage, but bad baggage. Things from our past that were sometimes wrong, not always wrong, but hurtful, damaging us. We were damaged in some way, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, whatever. And we bring that with us into our new Christian life. Yes, the Bible says if anybody is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. All things are passed away, but they have to be got rid of bit by bit sometimes, just like the grave clothes of Lazarus. So that makes a sense of this call to free ourselves from the chains in our necks, to free ourselves from anxiety. And sometimes the devil tempts us to think, well, God's got an awful lot to take care of. Is he really all that concerned about poor little you, poor little me, with something that, in the eyes of many, is probably quite trivial, although it's not trivial to us. So, really, to deal with these kind of situations, there is, first of all, the revelation we need to trust. What do you mean by that? Well, spell, it's spelled out by Peter. He says, this is what you should do. You should cast all your anxiety on God because, remember this, believe this, act on this assumption, he cares for you. He cares what's happening to you. He's not indifferent. Not one tiny bit indifferent. Now, we have friends and friends, and some of our friends care very deeply for our well-being. And some of our friends are sort of superficial friends, and they're nice enough people, but they don't care too much what happens to you and me. Ah, but God is caring absolutely 100% for us. 
he cares for you. Go back to Romans chapter 5 verse 8 and there is the evidence Paul tells us that the evidence of God's love is expressed in the death of Jesus. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much he cares for us. But he cares for us even more than that. And there's more in addition to that because we move over to chapter 8 in Romans and we find Paul saying we know that in all things, not some things, not most things, but all things, God is at work for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So he's proved his love in the death of his son. And he's also declared his love in telling us that in everything that's happening to us, the good stuff, the bad stuff, in everything that's happening to us, he is present and he is active. Now much of the time we don't sense his activity, we don't know what's going on under the surface, behind the scenes. But he has promised to be active, not just present, but active in your life and mine. Because we love him, because we belong to Jesus, because we've been called into line with God's eternal purpose for us. Wow! The revelation and the test. So we should never, never hesitate to come to God with something that needs to be dealt with, thinking that oh, it's just a small thing. Mm. Small things can be dangerous and destructive and harmful, as well as bigger things. So it begins with the revelation I need to trust. And then, of course, there's the action I need to take. Go back with me for a minute to the Psalms. Psalm 55. Psalm 55, verse 22. Surprise, surprise, the psalmist writes, Cast your cares on the Lord. Just what Peter's been telling us to do. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Go back a little further to Psalm number 50. And I may have covered this ground with you before, I'm not sure, but it'll stand covering it again. Because there in Psalm 50, the psalmist tells us, Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High. Call upon me, this is God talking to us, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will honour me. God is saying, when you involve me in your troubles, you know what? We both get something good out of it. You get the help you need, I'll deliver you, and I get honoured in the process. Oh, amazing. I get something out of it, and so does God. But we need to call upon him with thankfulness. The last verse of the psalm repeats that. He who sacrifices thank offerings honours me, God says. And he prepares the way. Ah, this is what this is all about. Preparing the way to cooperating with God, to, to maximise his blessing in our lives. He prepares the way that I may show him the salvation of God. In other words, the further dimensions of what it means to be saved, to belong to Jesus and be cared for by a loving heavenly Father. That is more often referred to in Christian preaching, not in the psalm, the psalm, but in Philippians chapter 4, where I know we've been together, where um, Paul writes, don't be anxious about anything. 
but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and the key there you see is the same as in the Psalms don't just ask God for help and don't say Father I'll come back and thank you later if, if you just help me no that'll not do we need to thank him in advance that's an act of faith the sky can be as black as night everything can look hopeless but I bring this situation to God and I say Father I thank you that you're going to do something about this you're going to deal with this for me yes that's what we're taught in the Psalms and that's what we're taught here I believe and everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving the thanksgiving comes at the same time as the request and then the peace comes afterwards I wonder how many of you this morning are having any difficulties with anxiety or worry or fear the word of God tells us that if we cooperate with God then we can get rid of these things as often as they happen to assail us he cares for us he is able more than able and more than willing to help us in these circumstances so we're called to clothe ourselves with humility we're called to free ourselves from anxiety but remember Lazarus remember what happened in his case he couldn't free himself from his grave clothes he needed help and that's why sometimes when we come into the Christian life we need others to minister to us prayer ministry that helps us to get free from these things that we've brought into the Christian life that really ought to have been left behind thirdly this passage calls us to prepare ourselves for adversity be self-controlled and alert your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour resist him standing firm in the faith prepare yourselves for adversity because we have an enemy whose purpose is known. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul tells us that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to prevent them seeing the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of the many things that Satan is constantly doing. Why do some of our non-Christian friends hear the gospel over and over again and yet it seems they haven't heard anything? Because Satan has blinded their minds. For the period of time they were listening to the gospel, they didn't really hear the gospel. Their thoughts may have been a thousand miles away. Satan blinded their minds. He's very nasty and very destructive and very dangerous. If we go over to Mark chapter 4 for a minute, we find there the teaching of our Lord Jesus. And again, we're helped to understand why certain things happen. It's the parable of the sower. The sower is sowing the word of God, says Jesus. The word of God is being distributed far and wide in various circumstances. Sometimes the seed falls on ground where it's very easy for the seed to take root and bring forth a wonderful harvest. But at other times it falls on hard ground. For example, the first illustration is that the word is sown on a path. And that's another word for a pavement, really. You don't sow seeds out on the pavement. There's no soil. They would, they would just die. They won't grow. So 
that's because in, in the spiritual sense Satan comes and takes away the seed and Satan is very good at doing that many a person comes to a church service hears God's word hears the gospel or hears teaching for Christians before they get home they've forgotten all about it Satan's at it again he's stolen the word away possibly because they've been diverted by something else that they think is more urgently requiring their attention dear 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 and as Jesus goes on teaching about the possible results of the seed being sown in unfortunate places some is sown in rocky places and the people receive the word initially with joy and enthusiasm but they don't have root and they last only a short time and when trouble or persecution comes they fall away guess who organized the trouble or persecution and also the worries of this life said Jesus the worries, oh yes and the deceitfulness of wealth, oh yes and the desires for other things pleasures etc that some of which are wrong and evil these prevent us responding to the word of God in the way that we should I mean Jesus himself has warned us plainly, he said the thief comes, he's talking about Satan, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy I have come, said Jesus, to give people life. Satan's come to give them death, to destroy their lives, if we can get away with it. Back to Luke 13 just for a moment. We're getting there. Luke 13. <clears throat> it's a story of the woman who was crippled and Jesus healed her. It's a very important lesson. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and the woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are fed free from your infirmity. And he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Now, in a general sense... Satan is behind all sin and all illness, in a general sense. But sometimes he is behind some illness in a very specific sense. And here is a case in point. This woman had been crippled for 18 years and couldn't straighten her back. And the best doctor or surgeon in the world couldn't have done a single thing about it. Because the reason she was crippled was that an evil spirit had got access to her life and had crippled her and kept her crippled until King Jesus came along and the evil spirit's time was up. He said, you are free from your infirmity and he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. And when, of course, the people objected because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, he said, Should not this woman, a daughter of Abram, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day? Satan kept her bound. That's a classic example of the measure of power he has against us. And that's one reason why People like me are so obsessed with this need for protection. I don't want Satan 
attack him in any way whatsoever. Well, we must be prepared for what may arise in the course of events. An enemy whose purpose is known. So we need to have a strategy where participation is needed. Yes, God doing his part, but you and I doing ours. And that's why Peter teaches, as James teaches, as Paul teaches, that Satan is to be resisted. Stand against him. Stand against him. Personally, I was thrilled when I heard the news some weeks ago about the train journey in France where a guy suddenly produced weapons and somebody had the courage to risk it all their own life and restrain him, resisting him before he killed anybody. Brilliant when human beings are prepared to take risks like that. But you see, you and I, it's not a risk thing that we're doing. You and I are obeying God's commands. Don't let Satan get at you. You can stand against him if you're living a, a life of obedience to God and there's no reason in the world why he should get in. But it means we must be self-controlled and alert. Our spiritual antennae must be functioning so that we can smell a rat before the rat gets too close to us. Oh, yes. Signs of Satan's activity. Nail it before it begins to become something much more serious. And of course, James tells us how to handle this. It's exactly the same as, as Peter's instruction. James tells us, uh, he says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The promise is there. But let's end with the teaching of Jesus himself. Not his teaching, but his experience, which teaches us. Back in Matthew chapter 4, we can read in the Gospels of what happened to our Lord Jesus after his 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. He said, the devil knows when we're most vulnerable. And when you've been fasting for 40 days and you're jolly hungry, you are vulnerable. And Satan tried to take advantage of Jesus' vulnerability at that point. And he hit him, not with one temptation, not two temptations, but three in quick succession. And each time Jesus handled the situation the same way, he made Satan listen to Scripture. Now, Satan hates Scripture because it exposes him for who he is. It speaks of his ultimate downfall and destruction. He hates the Word of God. But Jesus made him listen to Scripture each time. Each time he was quoting from the same part of Deuteronomy. And Satan was forced to listen. And the third time Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan! It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him. And angels came and attended him. Personally, I'd much rather have the company of angels than the company of the evil one. But we have to speak to him, you see. And some Christians find that scary. No need to be scared about that. He knows, he knows that we have authority over him. Jesus declared to his disciples, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And again, of course, Satan loathes that particular scripture because he knows it's to his advantage. No, to our advantage. Yes. So we are to do certain things to open ourselves up to the maximum blessing of God. Uh, some of us are more 
greedier than others. Well, I'm greedy for good things. And uh, I want the best of God's blessings. I want the best God wants to give me. If he wants to bless me big time, I'm all for it. If he wants to give me minimum blessing, well, that's it's his prerogative to do that. But God's heart is actually to bless us far more than we realize or expect. But to keep ourselves in tune with him, to prepare ourselves to receive this maximum blessing he wants to pour upon us. And remember, the more we are blessed, the more others around us are blessed. The more we have streams of living water flowing out from within us, the more people around us are going to be touched by the power of God and his spirit and so on. So here's the challenge. Clothe yourselves with humility. Free yourselves from anxiety. And prepare yourself for adversity. Adversity will come. The Christian who never is attacked by Satan is not living a very first-class Christian life. Because when we are out-and-out Christians, truly committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, truly unashamed to, to be identified with him, to make him known to others around us, whether they're hostile or friendly, we'll get attacked in different ways by Satan. But we can win hands down every time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wealth of teaching you give us in your word. You have not given us some limited kind of instructions. You've given us a vast area of precious teaching to tell us how to live the lives that you have planned to give us, lives of joy and peace and victory. So help us in every situation to cooperate adequately with you, our wonderful, caring, heavenly Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.